Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Blockhead listeners, welcome to a new episode. Today is an exciting day. We've got Brian Gordon of Foul Language. That's right. Foul Language, the online monster comic strip. I mean, monster comic strip. I don't know how many thousands of followers he has on Instagram, but he's here to tell us all about how Foul Language started off as a small little strip and took off and and exploded all over the place. Uh, Everyone's talking with foul language these days. And, uh, uh, yes, pun intended. Um, Terrible, terrible. But, I mean, what are you going to do with a title like Foul Language, right? I mean, it's just so perfect. Uh, It's amazing nobody uh, ever did it before. It's one of those ideas that's just out there in the world and waiting for somebody to grab hold of. And Brian Brian found that idea out there and pulled it down and made a million bucks. (laughs) I don't think he's making a million bucks, but uh, he's doing very, very well. And for good reason, because it is one funny comic strip about parenting and ducks. <laughs> parenting and ducks. And well, so how those two go together? Well, we're going to find out. And we'll talk to Brian about the development of the comic strip, where it came from, where those ideas came from, what preceded it, and why you can't see uh, giraffes on Hallmark greeting cards. So if you find that intriguing, then stick around. We're going to be talking to Brian about all that pretty soon. And then and there'll be part two next week where we really get into talking about comics and comic strips and, and Charles Schultz and Peanuts a bit more. So, uh, But anyway, before we get to that, I just wanted to comment on some of the stuff I was talking about last time. Wherein, you know, I, I had gone through this thing with my le- my most recent comic strip endeavor, Spiking the Lens, and things didn't work out quite the way I'd hoped they would. Uh, I was pretty down and out about that. Mostly my own fault, you know. I have to say, but the, the, okay, there were some external extenuating circumstances that also sort of compounded my own sense of failure. And okay, so I was not in a great place that day and I felt like I had to work through some issues about that particular incident in my my uh, comics career and why it didn't work out. And I feel like I made a good choice and I feel like it was healthy and helpful. And some of you have responded and I'm, I really appreciate those comments and, and your your consideration. Uh, but since then, I, you know, I found what I always find, and that is the way out of that morass, the way out of that place, that place where you are um, down on yourself and, and your work and where you're going, is another project. That's always what happens, you know, when you, you get up to, to bat and you strike out, man, it hurts for a little while, but then afterwards you just got to get up to the plate and and swing again. You like that? You like that metaphor? I'm thinking of spring, right? I'm thinking of baseball. It's on its way. Anyway, uh, and I'm thinking about Charlie Brown. Of course, Charlie Brown, right? I mean, that's that's the whole nature of this podcast. It's about peanuts and Charlie Brown. And man, Charlie Brown, he he does not give up. He's going to kick that football. He's going to pitch a no hitter. <laughs> He's going to hit the home run. 
uh, in his own mind anyway, one of these days it's going to happen. He keeps trying, right? And so uh, I'm going to keep trying to fly the kite. I was fortunate this time that while I was working on Spiking the Lens, I was also segueing into this animation project. And and the animation project is so involving in so many different ways. It's so complex and so intriguing, engaging, that uh, I found my attention. I, I couldn't focus on being sad for any great length of time. Uh, the work itself was too interesting and there was too much going on and I was too excited about it. And, and, you know, there's too many challenges involved in it. So, the, you know, and I've always found that that's the way out. I don't have time now to really dwell on my failures. I, I'm too focused on what's going on now. And it's a project that I, I'm doing it for myself, really. I have no idea where it's going or whether it's, it's something that anybody will ever be able to see. But in the meantime... I'm so engaged in it, and I'm having a great time. It's also a really challenging time, and some sometimes fairly frustrating. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's just so involving that it's yeah, I don't have time to really dwell on and on what happened with spiking the lens. I'm on to the next thing, and I guess that's that's the thing I've always found is that it's the next project that picks you up and pulls you out of any kind of rejection or any kind of failure. And if you keep going because you're doing it because it's what you love to do, I think that, you know, you find your way out of these things. And uh, so uh, I just keep hoping that's the case <laughs> for myself and for, for those of you who find yourself in similar situations, you know. And uh, so I'm, I'm working. I'm working on it. And I'll show little snippets here and there of what I'm doing. Uh, and uh, actually, some of those are going to show up on Fanfare now. Uh, my brand new Patreon page. Yes, indeed. By golly, I've taken, I've, I've taken a leap <laughs> and I have created a Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan, G-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N. It's the first time I've, I've done that. I, I had joined Patreon a long time ago when I was doing comic strips on Go Comics and I thought, you know, I'd get something going, but I never did. I just let it sit there. Uh, so, but now I really find that I kind of need it for uh, a variety of things to help keep Blockhead going, to improve Blockhead and, and uh, uh, improve the, <laughs> the, the state of my recording studio, uh, my equipment. And, uh, and there are other expenses that I need to cover and sometimes have a hard time doing. And so that along with, you know, you heard me talk about la uh, last time about not having the 300 bucks for, for the website. Well, you know, the Patreon thing is about to help me with the required monetary funds to keep my work alive and keep it going, whether it's here on Blockhead or it's working on animation and comics. That's what the Patreon page is about, and it's a, and if you are a fan of Blockhead, if you are interested in seeing this podcast improve and, and grow and uh, want to help me continue to make my work and, and comics. and Well, check it out. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. I'm, I'm really uh, hopeful, but, you know, I'm taking it slow with it and uh, hoping it will build over time. It is a necessary thing for me, but 
Um, you know, I think that you'll find if you're, you are interested in lending me your support, which I will be extremely grateful for, there are a lot of wonderful uh, rewards that I've concocted for those who are uh, willing to participate and uh, lend me a cup of coffee uh, once a month. Basically, that's the, that's the cost. So check it out. Right now, the comic strip I ran on Go Comics for five years, Plastic Baby Heads from Outer Space and then Jetpack Jr., uh, is nowhere on the web. Except for a couple of little snippets of it on my own website, you can't find it anywhere. But now I'm going to be uploading the archives of Plastic Baby Heads and Jetpack Jr. to my Patreon page. So if you become a member, you'll have access to that. And there's going to be all kinds of other things. I'm going to do some blockhead extras. There'll be little snippets here and there from various interviews we've done that aren't available in general. And while I'm always going to keep Blockhead free, Blockhead, the podcast, is always going to be free, there might be extras on the Patreon page, extra episodes, uh, which I'll be developing as time goes on, and, and little snippets from each episode that don't get included. So if you are of the mind to lend your support to my cause, I will be very, very grateful, and it will do a lot to help reduce both the podcast animation comic strips and all the other stuff that i'm involved in so check it out at patreon.com slash jeff grogan and uh so i i really appreciate it thank you uh now on to the wonderful brian gordon and a really great conversation it's going to be in two parts this week and next week hang around till the end of this episode uh, because i'll come back and i've got some big 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 news about blockhead and what's coming up so sit back, enjoy, and I'll catch up with you at the end. Hello, Brian. Welcome to Blockhead. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, I am a big fan of Foul Language, have been reading it. I don't know when it came out at first, but it seems like it wasn't, in my memory anyway, at, at my advanced years, it doesn't seem like, <laughs> it seems like only yesterday, so... Uh, but I've been reading it since before it was on Go Comics, well before that, I think. And I don't oh, remember where I you. first saw it, but it might have been on Tapas or one of those. Yeah. It was uh, on Tapas for a brief while uh, when it, when I first started doing it back in uh, 2015. Uh, and then Facebook and Instagram and, um, yeah, the, the Tapas crowd just wasn't uh, – really growing for me because the um since it's a largely a parenting comic uh and that's really young crowd so there wasn't a lot of parents over there to really um appreciate it so i just kind of wandered away after a while well it's really interesting uh i mean this is a whole topic we just opened up there uh about tapas and uh web comic sites in general but that's where i first saw it because i was running my own strip over there for a little while uh, the strip i did on go comics uh, it was plastic baby heads from outer space and then it became jetpack junior and I ran it on tapas and, and I found the same thing. If you are not, I don't know, my experience of it was tapas and webtoons both seem to have a very targeted audience and they're after a certain kind of material. And I always felt like I didn't fit. Yeah. And, uh, but that's where I found foul language anyway. Oh, well, uh, it was one you. of the first ones I subscribed to and I loved it right from the start. It's hilarious. And it's, you know, the thing about it, too, is it, it, I just loved the title. It was so smart. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Ducks, foul language. Brilliant. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of uh, um, the whole idea. You know, the 
the number one question I get asked most is uh, why ducks? And it was kind of uh, backward engineered uh, from the title. I was just, uh, I, I wanted to, I had been doing a, a, another comic, but uh, that was uh, owned by the company I was working for at the time, Hallmark. Uh, and they weren't really doing much with it. And I was getting frustrated. So I wanted to just go and do something on my own. So, uh, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and so I was like, okay. In uh, the, the previous comic was a, a, a dog and a bunny, and uh, I had drawn so many cute animals for Hallmark for you know thousands and thousands of greeting cards, and uh, I was trying like, what what don't I draw? And for whatever reason, uh, you never see ducks on greeting cards. Well, I mean sometimes, but it's you know the uh, cats and dogs and bunnies are kind of the, the big three, uh, and bears. Um, so I was like, ah, maybe I'll do ducks. And so I was just doodling some ducks. And then, uh, I came, I drew a, a duck with a gratuitous profanity above them and tailed it foul language, just, you know, like, you know, just doodling. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's kind of clever. <laughs> and so, uh, I just like, oh, maybe I'll do ducks i guess that that'd be then at least i have the title already and so uh i yeah so hence that i didn't know it was going to be my job i didn't know at the <laughs> time um i may have put more thought into like oh well cats are more marketable and people would be more you know like likely to buy a, a cat stuffed animal or something than a duck but uh yeah so anyways five six years later here i am and you know how many hundreds and hundreds of duck cartoons in but yeah so yeah now i'm the duck guy so it's now you're the duck guy. <laughs> and you'll be drawing ducks from now until who knows when but <laughs> exactly uh, yeah it, it's amazing and but you know it's a couple of things come to mind i mean the first thing is like cats dogs bunnies and bears bears yeah. what what <laughs> yeah what I think bears and I, greeting cards yeah i think it's just you know the the uh, teddy bears you know it's just oh, it, yeah. it just kind of lean into the uh, the, the sweet things that people are most, uh, you know, surrounded with there, there's just, that seems to be the, the holy four of, you know, cute things you put on cards. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, ducks, I remember for a while I was, uh, I was just, it was, you know, after my, you know, 10,000th greeting card, I was like, I'm going to put a giraffe on one. And they're like, you can't do that. I'm like, Oh, son of a, like, I, just, <laughs> I kept like, I'm sick of drawing these four Thing. I'm like, how about, you know, like an orangutan, a, a, a rhinoceros, give me something. And I was like, no, just stick to what you know. So I was like, really? So yeah, they just kind of, they were a little resistant to that. But uh, um, yeah, so I was happy to draw some other stuff uh, after a long, long while in the, the, the card mines. So to speak. Like, God, there's a, a moratorium on on other the animal kingdom except for bunnies, bears, and cats and dogs. I can get the I get the cats and dogs and the bunnies, but you know my thought of when I think of bears, I'm this is I'm many years removed from teddy bears, so I'm yes. thinking of bears ripping off uh, yeah exactly birdseed off the the tree and and walking over fences and things. Yeah, and, uh, you know I'm not yeah, thinking beauty. Yeah, I had a spirited debate with uh, my editor at the time, and she was like, why a giraffe? And I'm like, I don't know. They talk just as much English as cats. I'm like, just, <laughs> like why cat? They just like, but it was just, you know, back forth, back forth. It was like, and so fun. But, you know, the, you know, the, the, what the house always wins, as they say. So, yeah, I, I drew my cat dutifully for that greeting card, and that was that. But, 
Um, anyways, but so you spent a lot of time working in the greeting card industry. I like did. Years, according to what I read. Yes, eighteen years. I was there. From, wow. Um, yeah, I went to uh, uh, Mass Art in Boston for uh, my undergrad, and then graduated. Made you know like ones upon fives of dollars freelancing for about two years. And then uh, I went back to school hoping that maybe I'd be able to learn how to make tens of dollars at least. And uh, I went to Syracuse University in upstate New York and mm -hmm. uh, for a master's program, I thought maybe I'd end up teaching or something. And then uh, my second of three years, I did an internship at uh, Hallmark Cards in Kansas City. I uh, had no idea where Kansas City was at the time, and uh, but I came out for the summer, and they offered me a job at the end of it, and you know I happily took it, uh, and uh, yeah, I thought I'd be here for a year or two, become rich and famous, and move back to the coast, and uh, yeah, 25 years, whatever, later, here I am, still <laughs> in the Midwest, and barely scraping by, but you know at least I'm still making cartoons, so um, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Congratulations on that Super Bowl victory. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that's I, a joke. I, right. I take gonna... most of the credit myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What did you study at MassArt in Syracuse? Was it illustration or it wasn't cartooning? Illustration. Yeah, it was okay. illustration. It's funny. Uh, MassArt, um, they didn't, there was no real uh, cartoonist alumni there at the time. Uh, so it, there was... And there was like a real tension, as so many art schools do, between uh, the fine arts and the uh, commercial arts. So, um, you know, to I, just being a, a stupid kid and trying to prove my, that I was a real artist, all my like a good three quarters of my portfolio was, the, you know, like these giant paintings. And they were all like, you know, man drowning in blood and, blah, 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 and just just so angsty and stupid and whatever, because I wanted to proved to myself and all the other people that I was a real artist. And, uh, but then I, you know, then I had like about 20% of it was like cartoony stuff, which was just a really, uh, dysfunctional portfolio. But, uh, and then when I went to Syracuse, um, I met, uh, a professor, uh, Roger DeMuth, uh, who is just a, this super accomplished, brilliant, uh, humorous illustrator. And he was sort of part of like, no, it's it's okay. You can just be funny. That's that's all right. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm like, oh, it was just like, you know, at that tender young age, having somebody say that, you know, uh, that drawing funny things was okay was, you know, uh, you know, it, it made a huge difference. And so I just kind of leaned into that. And then that gave me the portfolio to get into Hallmark. And then, you know, here I am today still doing it. So. Yeah, and and you are very funny indeed, and and it seems like a an endless wellspring of humor that comes from your pen. But, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. But uh, when I think and and how anyone could stop that, you know, put a stopper on that, I can't imagine. But they did in in uh, back in the day in art yeah. school and in in uh, liberal arts college. Whether you're in yeah. an art department, I I went through the same thing. Uh, I was really interested in being an illustrator and a cartoonist, and applied. Uh, as a cartoonist and and my first go around I was able to find a way into working with cartoons through animation and I studied animation for a while so that was cool wow. 
But then I, I left school, screwed up my life, took two years off, and then went back to school. When I went back to school, I, st- I, was, I was like, well, what, what am I going to do now? Because I, I figured I'd never make it as a filmmaker. So I started painting. And in the painting department, anything that remotely resembled illustration or cartooning was deeply frowned upon. Of course. And trying to please while I was there, but also becoming interested in a whole variety of things. You know, it was a process of sort of beating the cartoon out of me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This was the early 80s, so late 70s, early 80s. And by the time I got to grad school, of course, the world had changed, but so had I. And it took me a while to get back to to my cartooning roots, which eventually I did. But, uh, you know, it was a whole mindset. I think at a, at a certain period, it's funny. I think students now wouldn't recognize that mindset because where I teach and whatnot, we actively encourage students to explore, you know, different graphic applications and comics and, and whatnot. Comics are, you know, huge field and so is animation. And we encourage it all the time, but it was different back in the day. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like that there are more open minds now in, in art schools where, uh, you know, I was in mass art from, oh gosh, uh, 89 to 92. Uh, and it just, uh, at that point, it was just, uh, you know, just a real like, you know, cartoonist, you know, cartooning was just something that, you know, it was just a real low art form and, and it remains so I suppose, but you know, and, and I say that with a certain sense of pride, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's like, okay, it's, and no one's a bigger cartoonist fan than myself, but I, I also, um, I say that in the sense that like, well, it's not, it's a low art form, but I, I hold it in higher regard than many others, I would say. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just so glad to hear you say that because lower, I, I, one of the things I revere about comics is the fact that it is, has always been considered a low art form. I mean, I have no desire to see it become a high art form. I love the fact that it, it, it's, it comes out of what it comes out of, that it was trash and ephemera and, and thrown away. And, and people like you and myself were digging through all of that and finding all of the stuff that was absolute gold, you know, yes. mean, whether it's Charles Schultz or it's Jack Kirby or and Stan Lee or, or whatever. It, it was stuff that we knew this was like valuable. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I need for it to be in the Museum of Modern Art. I mean, it doesn't it, that's immaterial comics as they have been in and are, you know, have always been an art to me. And and yes. uh equally deserving of the same level of passion as any other art form. But I just love the idea that, that, yeah, there is, there's something that's not always appropriate in comics and comics can sometimes be, you know, off color, I guess, and and explore different territories. And, and there was room for a wide variety of, of viewpoints, you know, some, some, you know, for sure. I mean, you know, a big, uh, punk rock fan and you know oh. I, I think there's you know a lot of overlap there that you know it's uh so many cartoons are just uh you know kind of stripped down to its basics and um you know they're and some are you know more heady or, or you know uh it, but it, it seems like you know the at least the ones that i i hold most dear are just you know like they're simple they're trying to convey a message you know whether they're just trying to convey a laugh or if they're trying to make a, a social point or whatever it might be it's just it's it's kind of a 
easily understood and, you know, easily shared and easily, you know, there's just like a a certain brilliant simplicity to it that I just absolutely love and um, have always cherished since I was about six years old. So, um, and here I am many, many years later and I I still love it just as much. So, yeah, me too. Me too. And, you know, whether it's, we're talking about Chris Ware or we're talking about, you know, um, Robert Crumb or we're talking about uh, Ernie Bushmiller. I don't care. I love it all. And uh, yeah. it's all fabulous, and it's yes. a, what a what a, a field for exploration, and it's so rich, and there's so much you can do, and yeah, some of it's really crap. It isn't that great, you know? Yeah, of course, <laughs> you know, like in any field, but yes, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so going back to to your tutelage, if 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 you yeah. will, uh, sure. you know, thinking about that. So at at Hallmark, then uh, you you'd gone from grad school at Syracuse and into to Hallmark, and so that must have been kind of a competitive process uh, to get into Hallmark because I'm, oh, God, I'm sure yeah. there are a lot of people <laughs> trying to get in there. So that's that's one benchmark. But then once you're there, you've got to create. I mean, did you have like quotas or something in terms of comics that you or, or cards that you had to create? And how many happy birthday and Merry Christmas cards did you do? I yeah. Mean, I mean, uh, yeah, the initial getting in process, you know, I, I, I liken it to a um, it, it was almost like being on a reality TV show for a summer where uh, you and there was probably like, I don't know, like 13 other uh, kids from schools all over the country and we're all there. And we were told that, you know, like, okay, there's there's going to be an unspecified number of job openings at the end of the summer, and you're all competing at, against each other. Uh, but, you know, have fun. And it was like, <laughs> oh, God. So I was like, and, um, and I was, uh, you know, without trying to uh, be humble or anything, but I was outclassed, uh, you know, up and down, left and right. The, you know, there was these brilliant painters. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was a cartoonist. That was my strength. And, you know, so we'd have these projects where like, okay, we're all going to do watercolor paintings of flowers. And I'm like, oh, I am screwed. <laughs> I'm like, so I just sit there and, and these other kids would just, you know, like just paint the socks off me. And I was like, gosh. And, but the, towards the end of the internship, they're like, okay, now we're going to do a, a writing project where uh, we're going to write cartoons. And I started seeing the other guys start to sweat. And I'm like, oh, it's time to shine. And so I just got to, you know, I just buried them in uh, ideas and concepts and whatever. And uh, and that's what eventually put me over the top. Um, and they ended up giving, you know, offering me and maybe, you know, two other people a job. But uh, when I finally got into Hallmark, uh, yeah, it was hard because i mean a you're working amongst uh you know all these professionals and this is what they do and they've been doing it longer than you uh and you do need to uh meet a quota of you know cards per week um and you do about on average uh about three cards a week if it was like a simple design on the cover and just copy on the inside or there were more complicated ones you know like you see cards that have many many little rebus illustrations in them and and you might do one of those over a course of a week but there might be you know 13 illustrations in it um but uh yeah and you would have to do it and uh at the time uh when i first got there and this is just kind of dating me here but you know i started in 97 and Hallmark was a little behind the times on getting digital. And so everything was being done with airbrush. And uh, I went in and I 
hadn't ever touched an airbrush and they're just like, well, and here's your airbrush. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how to use this. I, I'm largely digital. And they're like, well, you're largely airbrushed now. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so it was just like this crash course of having to produce uh, professional work under a deadline, um, you know, and it was in that you're just thinking like, oh, they're going to show me the door here in three months because I'm not going to be able to do anything. But luckily, some people kind of took me under their wing and showed me how to work an airbrush and how to, you know, do such things. And then when I finally was able to get on a computer, then things really kind of started turning around because, um, you know, I, I was just, you know, quicker and more proficient. And that's what I had been doing in college at the time is just. Uh, you know, doing all my coloring and gradations and everything on a computer, you know, so Photoshop was kind of uh, my bread and butter, but they just, they had like a computer for the entire staff, you know, it was just a different time, you know, it's just funny to think, but uh, yeah, it, it was, it was hard going there for a while, but you know, I was able to, to keep it going for, you know, a good 18 years. <laughs> yeah. So you saw a lot of changes then at uh, Hallmark, you, you saw changes, the change from, a hard copy and and you know working with traditional materials over to digital uh yes. did you start you said you're working with an airbrush were you working that in conjunction with pen and ink or markers or uh on illustration yeah. board or traditional yeah it was uh it was and it was such a crazy way to work too um where i was doing a, a pen and ink i was doing that at the time uh, for the longest while, I was drawing with like a traditional dip pen and an uh, inkwell. And uh, but so you would do a drawing uh, on paper and then you would bring it down. They would take uh, a photograph of it and print it onto acetate, the, uh, the black line work. And then you would lay that over uh, a piece of illustration board and you would flap it on there, you know, with the registration right. marks and such and so you would have to do your airbrushing on a different piece of board that didn't have any line work on it whatsoever so it could be um you know just this is just how they produced the cards at the time it had to be all separate pieces of artwork so you know the the black line work would be shot and then the the color would be shot separately and so and so not only did i know how to work an airbrush like this is just a challenging way to do art period when you have this thing this kind of like animation flip thing where you're trying to figure out where the color is supposed to go and mm -hmm. yeah it was i was very confused and i made a lot of really bad art and i'm glad they get me on uh to you know past uh you know my learning uh curve there that that just was very slow coming but uh yeah so um yeah it was it was this very different time yeah. So how many years was it before you think they, they started moving towards digital production? Uh, you know, I, I was probably there for like, um, I think the writing was on the wall and people realized that it was just a quicker way to do things. And so, uh, but then there was a lot of people there that were very much old school, you know, like uh, who were older artists who had no interest in, and, you know, they were able to do watercolor or airbrush, you know, like, and they were just very comfortable with that. But, um, you know, I was, you know, one of the new kids It was kind of weaned on Photoshop. So, uh, it was, we would take turns, uh, you know, about maybe like two, three years into it. Like they would have like, uh, a, a little room where they had like two, like max 
put in there. And so like we would take turns working <laughs> shifts like me and, you know, however many other people working on the two max in the department of like 40 people. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of go in there and book our time. Like, okay, I'm in here from like one to three and then, you know, Susan's in here from three to five and whatever. So, uh, but it would, yeah, it was hard. And then, you know, maybe, uh, gosh, it, it, it may it was probably like eight years or something in it before I had like my very own computer to to work on that I could be like, wow, so this is mine. I don't have to share it with anybody. You know, I could. So it was it was kind of crazy. But um, and then wow. eventually everybody, you know, just they quickly kind of like, oh, wait, everybody should have one of these. And, you know, it, it was just it was kind of silly. But, yeah, Hallmark was it's it's such a huge company that it's it was a little uh slow and you know to do something like oh everybody's going to get a computer and like oh we have a you know a staff of you know three or four hundred people that's a giant expense and are these computers really going to catch on what is it is this just a fad (laughs) you know so it's just like so they were just a little uh they were less nimble to uh make changes on the fly like a a smaller company might so um Yeah, that's why we're kind of behind the curve for a long while. Yeah, and and I know those kinds of decisions and that slowness, that, that's why in a lot of ways you can see older corporations fall by the wayside and newer ones come up and replace them fairly quickly, particularly in a yeah. where things are changing so dramatically. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of talent has come through the greeting card industry. Uh, you're the latest person I've spoken to who has come through greeting cards. Uh, Rick Stramoski, I, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. He also came from greeting cards. Terry yes. Levinson, uh, you know, Pat Sandy, a uh, variety of people who've come through the greeting card business. It's like a fertile, you know, I guess, uh, feeding ground for for yes. syndicated cartoonists and popular cartoonists in general. Great sure. training. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how wildly lucrative it is, but it, it's, you know, it's uh, uh, one of the few places where, you know, people are, you know, buying cartoons, you know, like, yeah. and actually, so it's a, uh, uh, I mean, there's the newspaper pages, you know, newspaper funnies, but that's kind of uh, sadly shrinking over the years. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, online subscriptions like oh, comics and stuff like that. But as far as like, uh, you know, and is they've still remained popular and shared, you know, all of the world and, you know, uh, you know, along with every other meme. But, you know, it's like finding people who actually want to pay for them is sadly the trick but you know greeting cards is still one of those places yeah yeah very different environment than even when you began i mean Ooh. back in the early 90s and whatnot uh For things sure. have yeah you know the publishing field has changed a lot and uh so greeting cards are still a relatively fertile ground uh i don't know how luke I mean, it's interesting. I go to the supermarket and I see there's tons of greeting cards all over the place. Obviously, yeah. they did downsizing when, when uh, after 18 years, you know, your employment yeah. there ended and you went out on your own. Thank goodness, really, for those of us who love foul language. But anyway, yeah. it must have been hard, that transition from working a day job. Uh, I guess it was nine to five, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It's a very, very different experience. You know, it was... Uh, super hard and you know it's like just very jarring the to go from like you know just working in an office and being surrounded by other you know funny creative people you know who are you know just like you know it's a very unlike 
um, I mean, I suppose uh, an animation studio might have something like this, but just, you know, just going in and being surrounded by like tons of other super talented artists all doing, you know, similar work to you. And, you know, there's just a, a nice community of people where, you know, you kind of be able to walk by and see somebody working and just kind of poke your head and like, ooh, how'd you do that texture or whatever? And just kind of be able to have, you know, creative, collaborative conversations like that versus just being home and, you know, just, you know, you and your dog and, you know, sitting there <laughs> in your, your pajamas kind of staring at your computer screen by yourself all day. And it's like, wow, this is very different. You know, it's just, it, it you know, there's um, as much of a, a drag as it is uh, to work in an office, you know, or, you know, there's something to be said about the the human connection and that community, you know, that I, I really missed. So uh, I, I've gotten used to it now and I would have a hard time going back to it. But, um, yeah, that transition was super hard. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can see how the, it would be a big change. But, you know, it, when you think about it as a training ground, it, in a sense, uh, it, it, it allows you to inter, it, interact with a whole bunch of other artists who are different, doing different things. You can pick up an awful lot of knowledge that way uh, and, and, and very quickly, whereas by yourself... You know, I, I know my own experience, uh, most of the time I've been learning on my own over these years, and, and it's always a very laborious and slow process. And when you're surrounded by other people who are, you know, just as creative and, and whatnot, uh, you can pick up a lot very quickly. Yeah, you know, it could be a, you know, that sort of, uh, um, you know, kind of friendly uh, competition of, of sort, you know, where you just, you see who's, you know, whose work is being appreciated the most or whose cards do the best or, or whatever. And, you know, you just kind of aspire to be like, Oh, I want to be the one that everybody, you know, gushes over and there, there were, so, you know, it kind of like, uh, it pushes you to do better work and not just kind of fall back on your laurels and kind of like, yeah, yeah, I've got this style and that's what I do. And, you know, so it's just kind of like, okay, um, yeah, but, and everybody else was the same way. And I mean, of course there's some, you know, a, a handful of toxic, you know, personalities in there that would make it kind of unpleasant. But, you know, for the most part, everybody was, uh, you know, it, it's the, you know, the rising tide raises all boats kind of a thing where like, okay, well, we all want to get better. And the better we do as a, a team, the better we do as a company and we all keep our jobs, whatever. So, um, so what was the, the, uh, and not to spend too much time there, but uh, nevertheless, it's kind of interesting. What was the process? You 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 would thumbnail a bunch of ideas on Monday and draw them out on Tuesday and Wednesday and show them to the editor on Thursday, or <laughs> you know. Uh, well, it, it kind of flip flopped. Um, the uh, I was kind of uh, the rarity at Hallmark. Um, there was artists, there were writers, uh, and there was the the number of people that did both was a, probably a, a very small minority. There was probably maybe, I don't know, like overall, maybe like 5% of us did both. Um, okay. So the, but they would have these uh, projects, what they'd call projects where they're like, okay, this week we want to do, uh, it's Mother's Day. We need Mother's Day cartoon ideas. So um, you need to spend a week or two just trying to come up with as many Mother's Day gags you could um, and then you'd submit them and then they'd go through and then they would uh, take the ones they wanted and then they would dole them out and you'd get um, 
typically about three at a time to produce over the course of a week. Like, okay, these are the ones we liked that are going to be approved. Uh, so execute these three cards this week, and then you get, you know, two or three cards the next week, sometimes it's four cards if it was, you know, fairly simple idea. Um, and, you know, you kind of go back and forth between like writing or art any given week, uh, mostly art, but then, you know, maybe, I don't know, every month or two months or something, you'd spend a week or two just coming up with gag ideas and, you know, they'd kind of weed through the ones they wanted and then assign those or uh, as they'd call it, slot those into, you know, like, okay, we needed, uh, you know, X many new ideas and we have these uh, slots open. And so, yeah, this gag about whatever, you know, fits the the bill and so they put that in there and assign it accordingly. So, Mm-hmm. So, uh, as you worked there for a while and became, I guess what happens is, is you become more visible as a creative personality over time, uh, because in some sense you created a, a couple of characters, recurring characters for Hallmark, yes. uh, Chuck and Beans, I think is the name. Yes. Of yeah. The, the uh, so they appeared in a variety of different, uh, uh, greeting cards. Yes. The, uh, that was kind of a, uh, a new thing thing for them which they didn't really know what to do with unfortunately um the uh at the time um you know it and again this is just uh it's funny to look back where like blogs are such a big deal now you know this is pre-facebook and everything and so uh people were excited about the idea of blogs so our our little department uh shoebox that i was working for uh it came up with their own little blog and i was doing these uh various just silly gag cartoons and it was just kind of fun to do because they didn't have to be like if you're doing like a mother's day cartoon it has to have you know it has to you know be about mother's day or if it's a birthday cartoon it should you know naturally it's probably somebody about birthdays whereas like just if you're doing something for the blog it was just like oh you can do anything about anything and you know it you know like uh you could kind of hark like uh the far side for instance you know it's one of Mm -hmm. my uh, you know, one of the big, big influences on me where it's just like, and it can be about anything. So it was just fun to do cartoons about anything. And then I just, you know, I, and I would do like, oh, I don't know, three cartoons a week or more sometimes or a cartoon a day. And sometimes just for simplicity's sake, I would just kind of fall back on this little bunny and this little dog just as like two little characters talking to one another and they didn't have names. They were just like these little, you know, like barely more than stick figures really. And people started reacting to it and they're like, Oh, what's their names? And I'm like, Oh, they don't have names. So I, you know, I, I ended up having to come up with names for them. And then it slowly evolved from these little silly stick figures into something a little bit more advanced. And that became Chuck and beans. And then, uh, you know, they started going viral and getting huge. And then, uh hallmark didn't really know what to do with it because it you know it, it never had like uh you know anything it had, like maxine is a popular character that they did for many years with an older woman um the crotchety old lady that you know was on so many cards um oh, yeah. but that was like an in-house thing that you know like designed and made to be on cards whereas this was something that was just started on the internet and they weren't really sure how to you know like take that the the fame of, you know, the popularity of it online and translate that into cards. And so, um, yeah, it was just kind of weird. And there was a lot of 
uh, frustration and and kind of like them not knowing what to do with it. And they did put on some cards, but uh, yeah, it just kind of went back and forth and it kind of stalled. And that's what kind of inspired me to start doing something else and, you know, doing my own thing with foul language. So, yeah. And so Chuck and Beans, I think you mentioned earlier that Hallmark ended up owning that. Yes. Yeah, that's wow. the the thing is anything you do for Hallmark, you know, you sign like some pretty uh, uh, onerous contracts when you first start working there that anything you make while you're there um, is theirs, you know. So, uh, you know, anything you make on the company time, you know, is theirs. If you do something, anything related, you do have no ownership to it. So uh, which is fine because, you know, there's. Uh, on one hand, if you do a card and it stinks, you still get your salary. If you do a card and it does great, you still get your salary. So you, it's, you know, it, it's almost like you're working in a factory or, mm-hmm. of sorts. You know, it's like if you're working on a factory line and your widgets don't sell well, you still get your pay, you know, like, but, uh, and likewise, you know, with the card industry, but with the, the, um, the chuck and beans, you know, it, I ended up doing, so much of it on my own time at home just seems like a passion thing for me where uh this is just something that i, I felt strong about it was fun to do and i, I was sort of like oh this is going to be great and all this billion dollar industry to uh promote my work and and they just didn't know what to do with it so it's kind of floundered unfortunately so um yeah so that's why i what's funny is, is one of the the reasons that foul language ended up uh, being so foul, especially at first, um, it still has a fair amount of gratuitous profanity in it. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the first uh, cartoon I did, um, it was funny because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, like there was a lot of uh, talk inside the company like, well, whatever you do, they're going to take they're going to, you know, the, who knows what these contracts really, you know, like involve. And if you do a cartoon on the side, Hummer's going to try and own that, too, and whatever. So. Uh, the very first cartoon I did for Foul Language, I put, I, I don't know, like nine F-bombs in it. And I'm like, oh, come and get it, Hallmark. You know, <laughs> it's like, you really want this? You know, like, really, you want this? Because I'm just going to be swearing constantly in this. And uh, if you want to put that on a greeting card, be my guest. But so that was kind of my little way of, uh, you know, marking my territory where I'm like, no, mine, my mine, all mine. And, you know, like, I'll make something that they would ever possibly want. So that's that was part of the reason that I, I decided to, to work so blue at, at least. It, I mean, I still, again, you know, there's still a fair amount of profanity, in it, but at first it was like, uh, you know, I looked, I read my earlier stuff and I'm like, geez, I, I'm like a 12 year old that just, you know, is trying out, you know, like swearing for the first time, <laughs> like, with, you know, it's just a little over the top, but, um, well, you yeah. were let off the leash. So yeah, know. exactly. So, uh, yeah, but the, the, the good news was they, they never came for it. So that was, that was nice. So, yeah, I, I'm, I was just thinking about that. I mean, if there was, if it was necessary in a way for you to find some kind of legal protection while you, cause you created it in your off hours away from the office, yes. but while you were still working there, but, uh, but then it, it became, I guess your lifeboat, uh, yes. when, when the job ended. Yeah, like a year or two later, uh, after I had been doing it, um, you know, basically it's a hobby, just something on the side. And yeah, the uh, I got laid off. And I'd seen, uh, gosh, you know, I don't know how, probably like six or seven rounds of layoffs. And, and there's been several, I mean, there's a, a, you know, 
my my wife and many of my uh, friends still uh, are at Hallmark. My my wife's a writer at Hallmark, and uh, she's you know she and so many other people are are looking at another round of layoffs, which are supposed to be happening in just a number of weeks. So yeah, it's it's scary that the companies are shrinking. So. Um, yeah, it's like so many other people, just the reality of, uh, you know, the current economy and, you know, how many fewer people are buying greeting cards, you know, it's just, they're having to shrink the company and yeah, it's just, it was, it was nice to have, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, a plan B in the works, which I, I didn't know it was going to be a plan B. I didn't think it would be ever grow into something that would be able to sustain me. But, you know, um, I'm glad it did. So, yeah, it's fantastic. I, I mean, so it wasn't too long after it debuted then that people began to notice it and it, it started to be shared by uh, a lot of folks and, and it traveled all over the internet and became kind of yeah. a viral thing. I mean, how long did it yes. take for follow language really to develop an audience? I think, you know, it, I, I had a little bit of a, uh, head start with uh, the Chuck and Beans audience. Um, I couldn't, the frustrating thing was because uh, Hallmark owned Chuck and Beans and they, and I couldn't really, you know, announce on the Hallmark site, like, Hey, you know, like everybody, if you like this thing that Hallmark did, well, I'm doing it on my own now. So I couldn't really <laughs> do that. But uh, there, I had made some contacts, um, some websites, you know, uh, who had been posting Chuck and Beans and I was able to reach out to them and I'm like, Hey, you know, like, uh, I do this other thing now, if you want to look at that. So that, that gave it a little bit of an oomph, you know? So when I had like for, you know, months and months I had like, uh, I think I had, I started with like 24 fans and I had 33 fans, you know, I, it's, it's funny at, at the, the time, you know, I was basically just like reaching out to like my Facebook friends and family and, you know, of, of the hundreds of people that I, you know, I thought, you know, loved and cared about me, 33 people cared enough to, you know, like, like the cartoon. And then of that, I would post a cartoon and then I'd get like seven likes on a cartoon. And then I'd be <laughs> like, I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> you guys, really, I'm like, you all know me. And there's like, there's only only about a third of you, like, mm, you can do better, you know, try, oh. try harder. I, this isn't worth the like, you know, it's like, oh gosh. So, um, but it just slowly started growing and building an audience. And then, uh, yeah, it, I had a, a moment, um, where, uh, it, and when I first started doing it, it was a little, it was probably about half of it was parenting stuff and half of it was just other nonsense. And then, but I was noticing the parenting stuff was really kind of connecting. So I kind of started leaning more into that. And then uh, websites like uh, uh, HuffPost Parents and a number of other ones uh, started posting my work. And so I was like, oh, that's kind of maybe that's a thing. So um, the HuffPost Parents, um, which is a little sub page on the Huffington Post, uh, mm -hmm. they uh, were reaching out to me like, hey, can we want to post this? cartoon this cartoon they would email me from time to time and you know i never said no i'm like oh that sounds great yeah please do and then uh the day i got fired uh uh it was a uh, i think it was june 1st of 2015 and i i remember the time because they uh they sent out they told everybody okay we're going to be sending it out at one o'clock everybody will get an email letting you know whether or not you've been fired and i was like oh god so that was a hell of a thing to to get so 
so one o'clock, I got my my email, got fired, and then around three o'clock that day, after I'm just spinning, uh, I get another email from Huffington Post. You know, just their friendly little like, "Hey, how's it going? Any cartoons?" And I'm like. Oh yes. Oh, you can have all the cartoons because no one else wants my cartoons now. And you know, I had a friendly relationship with them at the time. And so they're like, "Oh, what happened?" I'm like, "Oh, I just got laid off." And uh, yeah, I'm kind of spinning here. And they're like, "Oh, wow, gosh, sorry. We should do a thing on you." And I'm like, "Yeah, please do a thing on me. I need all the things on me right now." So uh, they wrote a nice little. Uh, they posted a number of my cartoons and you know wrote a nice little article about who I was and when it just happened. And, uh, yeah, and it just kind of like, so I had like a, a, you know, a big boost in, you know, fans and whatever. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And then it kind of died down. And then, uh, you know, there seemed like a couple of weeks later, like, you know, BuzzFeed reached out to mm-hmm. me and they're like, oh, you, you know, we should, uh, do a thing on you. And I'm like, oh, please. And so they would write an article and I'd get another, you know, thousand fans and then it would really die down. And, and I had a number of these little, like peaks and valleys. And at the time I was just, you know, just spinning cause I'm like, this is, you know, this is nice getting these little perks, but I'm still, you know, I, I need to figure out how to make a living here. So, um, but then, uh, this website Upworthy reached out to me and, uh, and at this point I'm, you know, but it's about two months after I've been fired, I'm already jaded. I'm like just despondent. And they're like, Oh, we want to do a thing on you. And I'm like, Oh, let me guess. <laughs> All right, a thing. I'll have a good weekend. I get another handful of fans, and then no one. Then it'll just die down, and I'm no money. And <laughs> so, uh, but I'm like, okay, fine, fine, fine. And I kind of put it off. And you know, they wrote me. They probably like nagged me like two more times after like, so are we gonna do this? And I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. So I, I sent them a handful of cartoons, and I did my little you know online interview. And they posted it and, you know, I had a, a really good, you know, weekend and I'm like, oh, that's good. And then I had a really good week and I'm like, well, that's, that's nice. That's bigger than usual. Then I had an even better next week. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's crazy. This keeps going. And then I had an even bigger third week after that. And I'm like, this is nuts. And then they wrote me and they're like, this is, we've never seen anything like this. And I'm like, well, I certainly haven't seen anything like this. And they're like, wow, this is kind of, and then it just kept, kept growing and growing and it, it kept like just a bigger and bigger audience over like, I don't know, it's like a month and a half or two months. It was just like this flood of traffic and it ended up being, uh, I think it was the, the second most shared thing on all of Facebook in 2016, I think it was, wow. uh, it was just this crazy hyper viral, you know, little article of in collection of my cartoons and from that came like you know half a dozen book offers and you know all it was like wow it just it it was like I mean I've been doing it for you know a few years but this was like my overnight sensation you know like okay I finally got noticed you know I got my uh you know uh to use an antiquated term like my Johnny Carson moment where I'd like kind of broke big and uh you know it's like oh gosh and so uh, yeah, I ended up going with uh, Andrews McMail, which is a Kansas City publisher who, uh, you know, had published, you know, Peanuts and, you know, Calvin and Hobbes and so many other of my heroes. And uh, so I was like, OK, that seems like a uh, they, they have the bona fides to uh, do this. So I was happy and they were local so I could kind of, you know, meet with them person to person. And yeah, so it's at, I 
released my third book uh, last year, and hopefully there'll be more. So that's sure. that's where I'm at now. Wow. So it it does sound like a meteoric rise. I mean, it certainly yeah. was, really. I mean, because you figure 2015, it's only 2020, so it's five years. But but um, it, during that period of time now, when you were being noticed by HuffPost, after, after that, how were you – were you getting any revenue – from all of these, you know, from the rise in traffic, the gradual rise in traffic, uh, and was it through your website? Was it through a Patreon page? Uh, what, what exactly? How was it? How was it working? Yeah, the uh, the Patreon page is is how I uh, ha- did and am sustaining myself essentially from like donations. But uh, otherwise, the uh, the, the I was making virtually zero money. Like uh, at first, um, another uh, website. Uh, gosh, I'm trying. I don't think they're even uh, a website anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what they. Uh, but they basically they were trying to like okay, they recognized that my stuff was going viral, so they're like okay, uh, you just do what you do, but we'll pay you to put your URL. Uh, I think they were like the daily dot i believe it was uh dot com you, we want you to put our url in the bottom of uh your cartoons you don't have to do anything change the content whatever but we just want your url also on your cartoon alongside your own and we'll give you um i think it was 20 bucks or 25 bucks a cartoon or something and at the time it was just like i'm monetizing my work you know so it was just <laughs> like you know it's like I don't want to brag, but I'm making upwards of, you know, a hundred dollars a month here. So, uh, you know, it's just, you know, stupid. Uh, so there was that. And then the, the Huffington post, um, I'm trying to, I, I honestly don't remember if, uh, part of what I was doing at the time was, uh, I was really hustling to see like who I could, uh, uh, who might be interested in running, I would see who was running cartoons and then I would just kind of like send them emails and like, Hey, I don't know. I see you run cartoons sometimes. I also do a cartoon. And, uh, and so they'd be like, you know, and we will pay you nothing. And I'm like, and I will take nothing. And it was, it was just like, you know, so, uh, it was, you know, the old cliche of where, of working for exposure, but, um, there's, you know, it, in this case, this rare instance, it, it paid off where uh, the exposure led to other people seeing it, which led to a book offer. Uh, that said, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, you know, like the working for exposure uh, method for people. But I mean, it's you got to get seen by folks somehow. So it, it's it's a. Yeah, it's kind of a, a crazy conundrum of, you know, chicken and egg. It's like, you know, how do you make money without being seen? And how do you, you know, like get seen or, or how do you sustain yourself? Keep making these things if you're not making any money. So yeah. uh, it can be kind of hard. Yeah, it, it, and it is. And it's a daunting task. But, you know, and every now and again, the rare story like your own is one where one breaks through. But I think it's fantastic. So uh, and, and foul language is is unique enough. I mean, both, you know, the cleverness of the title and the use of ducks, anthropomorphic ducks is, and ex- the exploration of parenting, too, which, 
seems to be obviously, you know, an unending well of information <laughs> and the subjects for you to, to draw from them. Material is very, very rich. And one way or another, you just keep coming up with, you know, really funny and, and observant, uh, you know, really funny observations is what I want to say. Um, and I don't know how you do it. I mean, the same thing I, you know, I don't know. I mean, so what's your process? I mean, how do you, what do you, you knock your head against a wall or you just watch your kids for a while? I mean, your kids are, are how old now? Uh, well, I have, uh, two stepkids and, uh, two kids of my own. Uh, and they are, okay. Pop quiz. Uh, they are eight, <laughs> eight, 10, uh, 11 and 12 now. Um, and the, it's it just kind of, uh, it, it's tricky. And, you know, uh, when they were, you know, it's, it seemed like there was, um, there, you know, there's part of me that worries them like, Oh, they're getting too easy. I'm not going to have anything to write about. And then, you know, the next day I'm like, Oh no, I rich with material, rich with material. <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> Every uh, day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's uh, but it, it's a sort of thing where, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's sometimes where I'll, I'll like sit down at a coffee shop or just, you know, park myself on my couch with, you know, like many cups of coffee or something. And I'll just, you know, sit at my sketchbook and try and come up with some ideas. And there's other times where, um, you know, I'll just be ranting to my wife or a friend or something about whatever the kids did, you know, today to, you know, take me off. And I'm like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe that. So I'm standing there and he says, and I'm like, what? And then, uh, at, at the end of that, I'm like, I'm like, oh, that, that's kind of a cartoon idea. Right there. I'm like, oh, I'll, get, you know, I'll just kind of stop and like, you know, we'll have a laugh or something over it. And I'll just be like, okay, yeah, maybe that's a thing. And then, you know, so I'll, you know, there's stuff that just kind of happens organically from just, you know, taking note of like, uh, you know, rants with friends and family where, you know, we have a chuckle just kind of sharing our frustrations over kids. And there's other times where it's more of a traditional sitting down, trying to write out an idea, kind of idea. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is kind of, um, the ideas are mostly born from the frustrations and the struggles of parenting you know there's a uh, i'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with the cartoon uh, lunar baboon uh, yes i am yeah oh, am um yeah Is he's he... a, a good friend of mine uh, chris grady and and if people haven't seen it i, I strongly recommend it but it's funny because uh, he's he does a parenting cartoon as well um and but it's like we're we have two very very different takes on parenting where his is a uh, a much softer, more nurturing. His is more like uh, the you know the joys of parenting and you know like the um, the the solace he finds in it. And, it. and it's hard, but it's you know ultimately so rich and rewarding. And these are the you know like the 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 gift of being around children. Blah blah. Where my <laughs> mine is a very different take. Mine's more oh, yeah. like. They're trying to kill me and, you know, yes. like this is like, oh, my God, and I'm freaking out and I could, you know, I'm just trying not to, you know, put my hand through a wall kind of a thing. So uh, and it's it's just a very different take on the same subject matter. But, yeah, it, it's just, and I, I say that with, uh, you know, if people aren't familiar with my work, but the it, that it's, you know, it's constantly couched in uh 
you know, like, okay, no, I like any parent, I love my kids and, you know, like I, I would do anything for them. And, you know, like the reason that, you know, I haven't, you know, like walked out is because I love them so much and, and they're my everything, but you know, dear God, they're just, they're frustrating. Like any child is, they're just genetically made to push all your buttons, you know? So, um, you know, it's just a, a crazy, crazy process. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of grist in there and that I just kind of like keep drawing on the frustration and the, you know, if there's nothing funny about like telling people about a good day you've had, you know, it, it's the sort of thing, like if you, uh, tell like someone, you know, like the, you know, I'll say like, okay, if you, uh, if you're telling somebody about your day and you're like, what happened? I'm like, Oh, I went for a walk. And I'm like, Oh, it's very pleasant. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it was like, okay, well that's, that's not much of a story. But if you're like, Oh, let me tell you about, uh, what happened today? I'm like, Oh, I went for a walk. And what happened? I'm like, I slipped and fell into a pile of dog crap. I'm like, Ooh, go on. And then what happened? <laughs> you know, it's like, and then, you know, it's like, that's a, that's a way more interesting story, you know? So, uh, to be able to like, vent about the kids you know it's you know a it's there's it's more fun to uh share your frustrations and and you know and and you know from the countless amount of feedback i've gotten from people you know it's it's like just it's nice to share a moment where you, you can say like oh that's not just my kid you know like i'm losing my mind and i want to scream and i feel like a failure as a parent but i see other people are are struggling with the same stuff i am and it's kind of a a shared catharsis to be like, Oh my God, kids. Right. And then like, ah, okay. You know, so, uh, anyway, sorry. I'm a bit it's of a wreck not, there. It's yeah. great. It's great. And, and I, I think it's really, uh, revelatory and instruct, in, in, instructful, um, you know, to, to listen to what you're saying. Um, I was just thinking that, that in a lot of ways, foul language is like the reverse or it's a funhouse mirror version of, of Bill Keen's family circus, <laughs> yes. you know? And, uh, what, I mean, and it's true. He came up with, he and his son, right. Uh, both yes. worked on, worked on the strip and, you know, it's an endless supply of, of material and, and because there are, there is so much that happens and it is i mean basically it's it's the essence of humanity right this is yeah. our story is the story of raising children it's interesting uh you know i think too i i don't know if you experienced this i'm an older guy and i and i'm i'm thinking back about when i was a kid and 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 there was like a different it, it almost strikes me as there was a different attitude about kids back then it was like there was almost like um first of all we were let outside to play and nobody really watched over you it's just like get out of here go play and there, this kind of um, celebration of children, and uh, and the the documenting of every moment, and the you know graduating from kindergarten, all that kind of stuff. Yes. None of that was happening. In fact, I kind of think that most of my parents, most of the time, my parents really just didn't pay much attention. Oh God, you, know, yes. <laughs> you know, we were just left on our own, expected to go through the the issues of life. You know, get along with your friends. Sometimes you argue and get into fights, and big deal. You know, I mean. Some kid, I remember this, one of my friends coming to the door, it just popped in my head just now, rang the doorbell and said, hey, freckle-faced strawberry, because I had freckles, right? And I go crying <laughs> at my mother for a second, and he called me freckle-faced strawberry, and she said, well, you've got freckles, now go outside and play. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was kind of a, a an, an attitude, like, it was a very different, we have these kids, here they are, it's part of life, no big deal. 
But now there's like so much information and so much attention paid to the raising of children and celebration of children. And isn't this what, I don't know, maybe it was a, a rise in this idea of family values in the 80s and stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure. But it's a different attitude about raising kids now. There's also this thing, you know, where, where other mothers call other mothers out for on Facebook and whatnot. Oh, for. Sure. You know, all that kind of stuff, that kind of pressure that's there. It's really, it's a different environment. And I think what's wonderful about foul language is you're like, oh, fuck it. You know, <laughs> you know, Christ, some, pardon me, pardon my yeah, language, no. my foul oh. language. But sometimes yeah. it's just hard raising kids and sometimes they drive you nuts. And it's okay to say that, you yeah. know, it's okay to say this is not as easy. It's not an easy thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. And sometimes I'm exasperated. Sometimes I want them to go away. You know, yeah. that seems to be rare, a rare thing to say and foul language does it and it does it in a really funny way. Yeah, there was a, uh, a kind of a, a big cartoon for me back in the day. I just I would, had a uh, I was, just, you know, on the, the heels of an especially rough week or something with the kids. And uh, um, and I, so I wrote this cartoon and I remember just sitting there late at night staring at it, wondering, uh, like, should I put this out? Am I going to get hate letters? What's the deal? And, uh, and I'm trying to remember the exact wording of it, but, um, uh, to my, it, it was essentially, and I'm, you know, kind of paraphrasing myself here, but, uh, the, to my strong-willed child, like someday I, I know that you'll be a, a great leader and, you know, like I, uh, you know, I, I, I admire your strength and, stubborn tenacity blah 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 right now you're just being an asshole and it, <laughs> and i put you know it's just like and i put asshole in like giant like 72 point like blah 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 blah, blah <laughs> and i'm like just just at the bottom of it just in giant letters like but right now you're just being an asshole and so and i just kind of sat there and i'm like ooh, that's too harsh i'm like maybe i should Maybe jerk. Maybe jerk would be better. I'm like, nah, jerk just doesn't have the same zing as asshole. Though. So I was just like, just struggling over the, the wording of it. And finally got to probably be like 1 a.m. or something. And I'm like, I'm just going to, to hell with it. I'm just going to post it. And, you know, if people hate me, they hate me. And I'll apologize, whatever. And it just ended up being this huge hit. It was like my biggest <laughs> cartoon to date. And it was like, people are like, yes, my kids are assholes too. Hooray. <laughs> and so it's just like, oh, God, you know, it's just that sort of, being able to speak in uh, kind of no uncertain terms about your frustrations and be able to like, yeah, no, we, of course we love them. You know, like there are kids, but oh my God, you know, like when you're just, you know, trying to run an errand and your kid is pitching a fit because, you know, he needs to buy something in target, you know, like he won't, he, he won't be able to live unless you buy him that thing that he hadn't seen up until three seconds ago and you know or you're you're just trying to you know eat something and you know have a you know try to choke down a half a sandwich and your kid is screaming and throwing a fit and knocking his drink on the floor and you know that sort of thing where you're just like oh my god you're just like how does anybody do this and you know for me it's it was you know just through you know venting and there's in like you were saying before with the uh, the calling out of other moms, there's also like uh, a lot of competition online. I think a lot of people yeah. kind of sugarcoat it. You know, they have their Instagram versions of their lives of yeah. their, you know, their perfect babies and their perfect, you know, like parenting experiences. And uh, 
I was sitting next to someone at Hallmark back in the day who had had a baby just a month before I did. And they were having a grand old time, or at least the way this guy was telling it. And they were just, you know, you would think like, you know, three months in that his baby was learning Mandarin and whatever. I was like, oh, it's just such a magical, amazing, whatever. And I'm just looking at my kid. I'm like, all he does is, you know, shit himself and make me miserable and make me want to, you know, it's just like, oh, this is horrible. And so I was just like, so a lot of what I was writing was just kind of this kind of cathartic kind of way of like screaming into the void and like, am I the only one? Is this just, you know? So yeah, it was, it was just kind of different. And like you were saying earlier, you know, it was just a very different experience from the way that, you know, I grew up to, you know, the way, you know, I'm trying to raise my kid, you know, to a certain extent, you know, there's like, like, I remember my mom saying, you know, like, I was just like, ranting like oh i'm such a hard time she's like ah just throw them in the playpen and don't worry about it i'm like i don't know if people do that anymore you know like that's a thing like you just oh just abandon them for a while they'll be fine i'm like oh, I didn't, uh, that doesn't seem like a good idea either you know so it's just like you know trying to find that sweet spot of like well i don't want to neglect them but you know i want to give them a little space you know yeah. but i i also want to you know kind of keep an eye on them like so uh, yeah, so it, it's just, you know, I, I get a lot of people like asking for advice or whatever on parenting. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know. I don't. And I'm like, I'm just uh, I'm cartoonist. I'm, I'm yeah, exactly. The uh, cartoonist MD over here. I'm like, I'm just muddling through is, you know, as much as I don't know if I know any more than, you know, the, the guy who works at the gas station or anybody else. I'm like, I'm just, you know, I, I don't know. I just I know how to draw ducks. And what ducks they are, too. Brian draws ducks like nobody's business. <laughs> He's got all his ducks in a row. Indeed he does, yeah. Okay. How many duck jokes can we make? Well, duck. obviously, Brian can make a lot of duck jokes, but I'm not so good at it. Well, so what? Uh, we've got a lot coming up with Brian next time. This was a, it was a real pleasure and a privilege to talk to Brian. I've been a fan of Foul Language since it debuted, I think. And it's a great comic strip. I hope if, you've, if you haven't read it, you will check it out at foullanguagecomics.com. That's foul spelled as in ducks. <laughs> or on Go Comics. You can find it there. You can also find uh, the books, uh, Foul Language Comics, published by Andrews McNeil. They should be available at your local independent bookstore. So be sure to go check those out. And if you're interested in buying prints for the refrigerator of Brian's comics, you can get those on his website, Foul Language foullanguagecomics.com that's f-o-w-l and you can follow foul language comics on instagram at foul language comics i believe is the uh, the address so uh, do all those things okay and uh, show brian your support and be sure to come back for part two of our interview with brian gordon where we pick up exactly where we left off last week talking about drawing ducks and parenting advice <laughs> and uh then we've got some great upcoming guests oh boy i've got terry flippo of the comic strip deliver me which is a big hit on facebook and it is a really interesting 
trajectory that Terry has taken over the course of a career in comics from the small press in the 90s where he and I first met at SPX years and years ago uh, through mini comics and on and on until Terry had his big hit with Deliver Me which is a comic strip that is a niche comic strip and is big with a niche audience and that niche audience is U.S. postal workers and Terry had a, a, a lifetime working for the postal service as a postal carrier and he decided after doing a lot of different things in comics to do a comic strip about his experiences and what do you know it became a big hit it became a big hit with uh, people who are interested in the post office but people who work within the postal service and uh, he found a big community there and it's it's going to be kind of interesting to talk to Terry about how you build and find a niche audience and what that experience has been like for him after so long and then we'll talk about the history of small press and a lot of other things. We also have coming up Kevin Much. Kevin Much, who is uh, a Zurich winning graphic novelist who is also a buddy of mine uh, and a partner of mine. We published an oversized newspaper, comics newspaper, back in 2010 uh, called Pood, which was kind of a hit at the time. We did about four issues of a 17 by 24, I think it was 17 inches by 24 newspaper that was just comics and featured a single page for each comics creator. And it was uh, a pretty exciting endeavor. And it, I think it shows that, you know, that interest in comics and comic strips has always been there and uh, we were very proud of it we're very proud to do that and, and very fortunate and uh, like minds kind of coalesced around that idea well uh, Kevin is has been working on a variety of different projects since that time and his latest work a graphic novel called The Rough Pearl is just about to be published by Fanagraphics, and I couldn't be happier for him. It's a great book, fabulous book, uh, and we are going to sit down and talk about that, and uh, I'm, I'm and talk about comics in general. And I'm really excited to do that with Kevin and catch up with him after all these years. If that wasn't enough uh, to keep you interested, we have got coming up. Our next guest is just somebody I am so honored to have on this show. If you were going to identify the most important syndicated comic strip artists over the last 50 years, within probably the top five, this person is on that list, within the top five. And that is Lynn Johnston of For Better or For Worse. I am so excited this is going to be just just dynamite. I, I can't believe it. Uh, Lynn is going to be on the show probably within, well, just following Brian, following next week's episode. Uh, so I'm guessing we'll have the show up and running for you in, a, in early March. Lynn Johnston on Blockhead to talk about for better or for worse, to talk about her friendship with Charles Schultz and her career in comics, talk about for the 40th anniversary of For Better or For Worse and the traveling exhibition that of her work that was put together, the retrospective that was put together of her work last year. This is going to be, this is just so exciting for me because I have been a big fan for a long time and I can't wait uh, to, to have the chance to talk to Lynn Johnston. This is an honor and uh, real exciting. So that's the big news. I hope you're as excited about it as I am and I hope you will check back next time and be sure be sure to tell your friends right anybody who's interested in comic strips that lynn johnston is going to be on the show uh in the next couple of weeks so 
Having said that, again, I'm just going to remind you, check out patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan. Uh, there's going to be new stuff uploading there all the time for patrons only. Uh, I hope you'll consider being a patron and being a member of the community there so that you'll get a hold of, of blockhead extras and maybe extra episodes that will all be coming up in the next few months or so. So check it out, okay? Patreon slash Jeff Grogan. Be sure to come back next week for part two of our interview with Brian Gordon of Foul Language. This promises to be even better than this first episode, so be sure to be back, okay? March winds are starting to blow, so it's time to get those kites out of mothballs and uh, see if they'll fly. Thanks for listening. 